Welcome to Christian Natural Health with naturopathic Dr. Lauren DeVille. Christian Natural Health is the podcast on how to get and stay healthy God's way. You'll hear topics on nutrition, exercise, sleep, avoiding toxicity, meditating on scripture, what supplements to take, stress management, defeating anxiety and worry, how to reconcile Eastern medicine approaches with Christianity and a whole lot more. Now, here's your host, Dr. Lauren. Welcome back to another episode of Christian Natural Health. Today, I am very excited to have Don Parsons with us. Don and Esther Parsons have served in cross-cultural missions for over 25 years. Sensing the call to use their language and cultural skills in the region where their ministry missions began, uh, Don joined the staff of Mission Eurasia in 2020, working as the only Western member of the field ministries team. Through Mission Eurasia's vast regional network and working with other partners, Donna is serving as ministry director for the Unreached People Groups Initiative, mobilizing, inspiring, and equipping the next generation of leaders in Eurasia to take the gospel to the unreached in Eurasia and beyond. This new challenge allows Don to use his extensive experience and training to help equip the church in Eurasia to impact the nations in profound ways. When the war broke out on February 24th of this year, Don's focus and direction with Mission Eurasia changed. He is currently heading the relief efforts of Mission Eurasia in Warsaw, Poland, through work with several refugee relief clinics, providing for the physical and spiritual needs. Don and the Mission Eurasia team meet with and encourage refugees, organizing provisions, and much-needed counseling services. Welcome, Don. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to be here, Lauren. I'm, I'm really thankful. Yeah, absolutely. So... Tell us about, I mean, you're, you're right on the ground there. You're having a lot of the actual direct exposure to the, to the Ukrainian refugees. What's it like? Yeah. Um, so my wife and I uh, have been involved in the Slavic world for a long time. As you read in the introduction there, we were involved in church planting in both Kiev uh, in Ukraine and then later in Kazakhstan. So especially in Ukraine, we were there for an extended period of time and really fell in love with the Ukrainian people. So when you ask the question about what it's like on the ground, you know, we don't look at our Ukrainian friends, brothers, sisters, if they're brothers and sisters in Christ or just other Ukrainians that are there as just, as just somebody else. Um, but really looking, looking at them as part of our family, as part of our DNA. Uh, it, we're not Ukrainian by birth, by genetics, but we're very close to them. So you know, when I think about what it's like, um, it's, it can be overwhelming, um, but there's also great moments of joy and encouragement uh, as we see lives touched, Ukrainian lives. Um, just right away, uh, my wife and I were spending, have been spending time in Poland and Warsaw. Uh, we've had the opportunity to be able to enter into the government-run refugee facilities. And those are facilities, there's three of them around the city, one of them with 3,500 refugees in it, another one with 6,000 refugees in it, another one, I'm not sure of the numbers, but really when you start getting into the thousands, the numbers almost, they just all blur together because when you walk into the room and you begin to walk down the, the aisle of beds and you see cot after cot after cot after cot of people, and, and that's the circumstance that they're in. They ran for their lives and then they find themselves in Poland, received well by the Polish people. But here they are, uh, so many. In Poland alone, over 3 million. The city of Warsaw, where we're working, 15% increase in its population in three months. 15%. Oh 
Wow. So, so yeah, you have, you know, maybe 15,000 refugees living in those centers, but you also have tens, hundreds of thousands more living in individual homes, living in hotels, living in um, different churches, church basements and families and so forth and so forth and so forth. Mm -hmm. So that's what it's like on the ground. When, when you take a look at, you walk in and you see these, um, refugees in the refugee centers and you see those bed after bed and you begin to think to yourself each one of these people represents a story and the story is a story of tragedy it's a story of sadness uh, it's a story of loss and and almost always it's a story of separation as you have to also remember that most of the refugees are women and children elderly uh, the uh, disabled, um, because the men, anywhere between the age of 18 and 60, they had to remain in country unless they had some kind of waiver. Wow. Okay. Um, even up to they 60. all had to, huh. what's that? I said even up to 60. That's amazing. Yeah. Up to 60, up to 60 years old. So they all had to stay in country. So you have these women and children at, in each of these places. And we would spend time and we spend time with these, uh, these refugees uh, walking from bed to bed, They're, they'll tell you we're being well taken care of. We're being well fed. We have a place to shower. We have a place to wash our clothes. We have access to humanitarian clothing aid. Um, there's help centers that help people to know where to go next. They're trying to make these as transit centers. But honestly, we go into these centers and they end up being a place where someone might be living for a month or, or six weeks because they don't know where to go next. Of course, yeah. And some and sometimes our conversations with them helps them to make that decision where to go next because they're frozen in place. Mm. And even though the, the help centers and the, um, uh, the, the information desks for transport to the next place, they may have it in Ukrainian and Russian, they still are afraid to even, they don't, they don't know how to go and ask the questions. So yeah. we sit them, we hear their stories, yeah. we pray with them. And this has happened a lot. We sit there and we pray with them. And then they say, but I need to get to Berlin and I don't know how to get there. And I say, or my wife says, we'll go find out for you. And we go and find out that in one case, there was a bus going the next morning. We were able to register them on that bus and get them going. And and we're able to, in the midst of all of that, say to them, and did you notice we prayed for you and God answered that prayer. And, and don't forget that those, those moments are very vital and important. And we leave them some literature and some tracks and of course, share the gospel with them wherever the opportunity comes, gets open. But this kind of story repeats itself again and again and again and again. Uh, it, it can feel overwhelming for sure. You're praying for wisdom and God answers and gives them the answer mm-hmm. right there. Yeah, so- Absolutely. Um, well, and in any sort of crisis situation, of course, that means that people are going to be more hungry for the gospel than maybe they were before. Tell us a couple mm-hmm. stories about that, who, of people who have been more open than maybe they had been previously. Sure, sure. Well, um, a couple stories come to mind, but the one, one that sticks out right away is uh, a young man who was in that center. And our team went, in, went into the center. I wasn't with them this day. They went into the center. We're just praying to the Lord, God, show us who to talk to, who to engage with, who to pray with, who to chat with, who to share the gospel with. And this young man, Sergei, was there. And it's, it was ironic to see a young man um, because of what I told you before. Yeah. But he was there. 
Now, the reason that he was there is he was one of the refugees from Mariupol. And he had gotten to the center in Poland through Russia. Hmm. He had been evacuated through Russia. Okay. He was given the opportunity to, um, to go up to Moscow. And from Moscow through Belarus, he was able to evacuate into Poland. There's a lot to that story in and of itself. But here he is in Poland. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was told by the authorities that he only could stay there for a few more days. We're not sure why he was specifically told that he couldn't stay longer term. But that was the story. So our team decided to take him out of the center, put him into a hotel and began to build a relationship with him while looking at options for him to, um, uh, you know, to find a, a, pl- a more permanent place. They found a permanent place with a believing family in Germany. But while he was there with them for those next few days, many opportunities to share the truth of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And at first, this young man was very, very standoffish and hesitant what do these people want with me? Why are they putting me up in the hotel? What's going on? And this icy kind of persona really began to melt. And the night before he left, he started asking questions of the pastor. There's a pastor in our group and uh, started asking him some very pointed questions about spiritual things. And he even started to talk about a situation where he's married to a woman but the reality is, is they just live together. They say they're married, but they just live together. And he said, that's not right. I shouldn't be that way. And the pastor's like, who told you that that's not a good thing? He says, I know, I just know. Mm -hmm. So the spirit was beginning to convict him just by being in their presence, by hearing spiritual things. He said that to them, uh, said he wants to reconcile with his wife or not reconcile to reconcile the situation with his wife who wasn't with him. Mm -hmm. And uh, the pastor says, said uh, uh, that he would be very happy to marry them if they were able to get back together. He said, but then, but I have a more important question even right now. And that's, would you like to receive Christ as your personal savior? Uh, Do you believe that he is God, that he sent, that Jesus is God, that that God sent his only son, died, uh, lived a holy life and died for us on the cross and rose again. Do you want to, do you want to receive Christ and believe that? He says, I already believe that. So they prayed together (laughs) And I'll tell you, the countenance on this young man, Sergei, was completely changed in those, that last 24 hours before he left. And we hear from him from uh, Stuttgart, Germany, uh, and he's doing really well and uh, is growing in his faith, growing in his walk. He's got so, that. It's awesome. Very, very Yeah. Cool. Yeah. God is working powerful ways. Absolutely. And so what do the refugees who come to you who maybe already are believers tell you about the state of the church in Ukraine? How are they handling all of this? Mm-hmm. Well, let me back up just a little bit with that one yeah. and just say that the church in Ukraine has grown to become one of the strongest churches, actually the largest and strongest, most vibrant evangelical church in all of Europe in the last 30 years. Really? Not many people. Yes. Really. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. Not many people know that. Um, It has grown in leaps and bounds. God has really opened up doors for the gospel, for church planting, thousands Mm -hmm. of churches, uh, well over, um, well over a million believers uh, it, it, evangelical. We're talking evangelical brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, yeah. That's and so, 
you know, there, there's a real vibrancy in the church in Ukraine. And when you think about this war, and I know I'm going to answer and say more than I was even planning <laughs> what I was thinking about in this. When you think about this war, it, there's a spiritual component for sure in it. And we know as believers that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in dark places. Ephesians 6. Um, the eight years have become the most repressive for the evangelical church in all of Europe. The European Evangelical Alliance has said that those are the most repressive places, can't get registrations. Churches have had buildings confiscated that they previously had registered under the Ukrainian authority, pastors put in prison, those kinds of things. And so when you look at this war, you can recognize and acknowledge that there's an intentional press to push out the West, the church, and so forth. So there's a real spiritual no one knows of an evangelical church inside Ukraine today that is not actively working to help the displaced, the refugee, the suffering, uh, the injured. Um, they're providing food. They're providing transportation to borders or to a safer city. They're uh, providing scriptures. They're uh, giving people places to live and to sleep. Uh, you know, opening up bridges between locations uh, so that someone can stay here, move there, move there, move there. Left and right, you hear about leaders, pastors, deacons, uh, young people in churches serving as volunteers. Mm -hmm. Mission Eurasia, our, our organization is not a large organization, but it's got a pretty big impact with this training that we've done over these last, uh, these last 30 years since we've been in existence. We've done a lot of training a lot of partnership with a lot of evangelical churches. And now we're heavily involved in the humanitarian response. Uh, we were involved in the East for these last eight years, but now obviously it's the scale is Shifted, yeah. huge, much, much bigger than it was before. Um, uh, so the relationship that Mission Eurasia has with the evangelical church allows us then to now come alongside of the evangelical church to do a, a response uh, in Ukraine, Mission Eurasia has helped to provide 35,000 food packages, 600 tons of food. Mm -hmm. And with all of those food packages and with all that food comes scriptures. We've distributed upwards towards 200,000 pieces of scripture. Each food package, 35,000, has at least one New Testament, very possibly, if it was in the warehouse at the time, a children's Bible. Um, and, and some other scripture reference material or, or evangelical material handed out. So alongside of us handing out those things, we have a very small staff is hundreds, actually thousands of volunteers, mm -hmm. three to 400 churches. I don't know the number right now in Ukraine are partnering and working alongside of Mission Eurasia. Wow. Uh, a thousand to a thousand and a half volunteers every week helping to pack boxes, ship, take boxes, put them in a van and drive it into this remote city or town that's in a bad place. Yeah. I say all that just to say, here you have multiple hundreds of churches just passionately trying to take aid and trying to take this, the word of God to places that are desperate for it. So there's a real vibrancy in the church and, and it's a beautiful thing to see in the midst of this trial yeah. to see churches thriving and even growing mm -hmm. and pulling together like that. That's wonderful. 
So, and how are the people that are on the ground and the refugees that you've in, encountered, how are they handling all of this emotionally as far as like the, the war itself? Are they hopeful? Are they expecting anything to change in the imminent future? What, what do you hear about that? Well, it, it all depends on who, who we're talking to. Yeah. Um, you know, in the center and uh, in our, there's a refugee center at the church we partner with in, in Warsaw. It's not the government center, but um, we provide aid for hundreds of refugees every week. Sure. Uh, about 10 days ago, there was a group of 11 refugees that came from Mariupol as well. And they too came through Russia, uh, came around the border, came from the Belarus and then down into um into into Poland and talking to them uh, they told these horrible stories of tragedy um I won't get into all the details they they go through a this is after they were then taken out of the steel plant um so they saw a lot of atrocities they saw violence they saw just horrors of war again not going to get into all of that but then they spent up to seven days in a so-called filtration system. That's what Russia called it. Okay. It was an interrogation. Um, it was a documentation. It was research on your family history. It was looking, checking your body for tattoos that maybe indicated some kind of Western allegiance or Nazi connection or something like that. Wow. And then, then they were given opportunities to move to different places around Russia and praise the Lord that they had opportunity to to a place in Russia and they, they as a whole group were able to sneak out to Belarus that they got out but the sorrow in talking to them just the the heaviness the stories the children that have seen help change that as we begin to share hope and begin to share God's truth and pray with them and so forth so uh, to take the flip of that is my I have friends um, my wife and I had breakfast with a pastor and his wife in Warsaw, just about two weeks ago, uh, Alex and Irina. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is a family that uh, has been ministry faithfully for decades. They have many children. I believe they have eight children, but most of them are adults now. A few of them are still at home. But um, they have a home in Erpin. And Erpin, if you remember, is the place that uh, was occupied by Russian troops. Uh, most of it was destroyed and their home was one of the places that was destroyed. And their home was a hub for activity and ministry. Uh, with all those kids, they had kids coming over all the time, as, as a lot of homes have, you know, that kind of thing. But also, he was heavily involved in music ministry. He would have concerts and ensembles and practices and discipleship meetings and leadership meetings all right there in that church. Or, I'm sorry, in their house. Mm -hmm. So it was a real you know, center for, for ministry, family, for life, and it was gone. And you would think they kind of, they kind of wanted a home their whole lives, as you can imagine. And here they had one and had it for a period of time. And now it's completely gone. And when they left to go to Poland, um, the place wasn't destroyed at that point, but they only took the things that were in their car. Right. Um, so just a little bit that they had and they found out that it was gone. You know, they went through a hard time, but as they're sitting with at breakfast with us they're saying you know the lord gives the lord takes away blessed be the name of the lord uh, we will serve the lord where he calls us where he puts us those things the house 
it's just stuff. Right. You know, eternity is what we're living for. Mm -hmm. They had a chance to go to another country and they decided not to go uh, to that other place mm -hmm. and stay in Poland because they felt like and feel like this is a place that they could use their gifts uh, for God's glory in the best way possible. So they're working as part of our ministry team through the church. Uh, together with them, we went into a, uh, we've been going into a refugee center, a smaller one, small, 220 people, that's all. <laughs> Um, but trying to do some ministry with kids, um, with the adults that are there in that center living there. It's a little bit, it's a lot, it's a little bit better than that government center. They have individual rooms and so forth. So it's definitely, definitely better. Mm -hmm. um, but just trying to meet the needs of those people that are there. And we're actually, we haven't done this yet, but we're talking about doing some concerts since they're, mm -hmm. they're so musically gifted to actually just do some concert outreach. We asked the people when we were there and they said, oh, we'd love to have that. So, That's great. Um, so, you know, you have those contrasts, people who are, who are fearful, who don't know what the future holds. And then you have Alex and Irina and they don't know what the future holds, but they know who holds the future, Absolutely. you know, and, and that's the key. And they rest completely in that. And it's such an example to me, mm -hmm. um, all of the things that we have, all of our homes, all of our cars, any, any stuff, it doesn't matter. You know, and that's the reality of war. It begins to make you think about what really, really matters in life and in, in, in eternity, in eternity. Yeah. And so I thank the Lord for people like Alex and Irina. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So, and how would you say, I mean, you've talked about the people kind of coming together and having optimistic outlooks and helping each other, but I mean, aside from that, is there anything else you can tell us about how God is taking this situation that was meant for evil and turning it for good? Like any miracle stories or anything like that? Mm, sure. Sure. Well, you know, early in the, so my wife and I, we were church planters in Kiev, as I mentioned before, um, helped plant a church that's called Hope Church uh, in the city itself and a young young man at the time who I helped mentor to become um well he wasn't even that young he was older than me <laughs> but to become pastor to become pastor has now served there for for nearly 25 years as as pastor of that church and when the war started I was talking to him on a daily basis they would having having air raid sirens the city of Kiev was being was being bombed or at least there was missiles coming into the city um Literally a hundred meters, a hundred yards or so down the street from the church was one of the very first missiles that hit one of the living blocks in the entire war. Wow. We lived right. We lived really close to that spot. And I remember when my kids saw those pictures, it was so surreal to imagine the place where they learned to walk. Uh, they were learning ministry, learning what, you know, church, they were learning life. They were learning family. Uh, um, we're growing up in a place that was now being bombed. But Pastor Andre was, was uh, sharing with me on a daily basis what was going on. And they had 40, 50, 60 people living in the basement of the church in those early days. A lot of people were unbelievers, a lot of children. They would have worships, worship services. They would have Bible stories, sharing the gospel. Right. One day he shares with me about a, a young man and his wife, uh, who were living down there, the, the wife had become a believer, 
the year previous, she wanted to be baptized and her husband refused to let her be baptized. Hmm. And here he is with the pastor in the basement with air raid sirens going off with barricades being built outside the church by government forces. And here he is sharing God's truth with this young man. Wow. And over the course of one particular evening, they were debating back and forth is a kind of a vibrant conversation. And ultimately this young man gave his life to Christ. It's God, that's awesome. And so, and that story repeats itself even at Hope Church many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pastor Andre and I were talking yesterday. He's heading back to Kiev, and I'll tell you where he is right now in a moment, but he's heading back to Kiev shortly. And uh, uh, he's going back because they're going to do a baptism in the first week of June. And all of those who gave their lives to Christ down in the basement of the church, in the bomb shelter, inside the church, which sounds strange, but that's the reality. Um, they're going to baptize them. They're going to be baptized. Very cool. Now, the other miracle of the story with, with Andre is he very unexpectedly was evacuated himself. I say that because he had to take a trip to Western Ukraine with his wife uh, for a different purpose, but related to the war too. And someone told him he should get on this bus and go to Switzerland with this group of refugees. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it was a caravan of buses and 120, 130 refugees taken to one particular location in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. When he arrived there, he wanted to turn around and go back, but people persuaded him and his wife to stay, to become pastor of a new church at this refugee center, which was basically like a vacation place. He says, it's really nice, but it's not home. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was showing me pictures and sharing stories. 21 people have come to Christ at that church plant mm-hmm. in the last two and a half months. Wow. 21. Yeah, that's he's wow. he's invited down the street to the Catholic Church. This mm-hmm. is a Baptist pastor, friend of mine, <laughs> to the Catholic Church, where he's been invited to preach multiple times in his broken English. Uh, and then they translate it into German, the Swiss German mm-hmm. uh, down there. I met the Catholic priest online yesterday, actually, and uh, they're letting the Baptist church, our, my pastor friend from Kiev, to have a worship service at the church every week on Sunday at two in the afternoon. And so there's this picture of about 80 people inside a church, Catholic church building in a worship service, Baptist worship service in Switzerland. <laughs> wow. How crazy. Everybody's coming together. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and 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 people are coming to Christ, which is beautiful. And Pastor Andre says to me yesterday, and this is something that's been on my heart. And you think about what God is using and how God is working. Um, you know, one of the worst, saddest moments in Scripture, if you didn't know what was coming next, would be Stephen preaching the gospel and getting stoned. And, and that the horrors of that, that happened in chapter seven of Acts. And then in chapter eight, the church falls under great persecution and they're scattered. And in verse four, it says, and as the church was scattered, they preached the gospel wherever it went, preached the word of God wherever it went. And Andre said this yesterday, and I've seen this happen again and again. I've heard pastors say this. The Ukrainian, vibrant, strong Ukrainian church is now going back into Europe, into some of the most unsafe places now, 
you know, mm -hmm. some of these countries have a, have a really dwindled in their evangelical presence and they're able to be a light for the gospel. And he says, wow. that's my big prayer request is that Ukrainian believers would be intentional to do that Acts 8-4 mm -hmm. as they're scattered, preach the word of God wherever you go. And that was his prayer request. So um, what, what man intended for evil, there's some pictures of what God is doing for good. Lives are being changed, transformed. The church is responding. Um, and, and there are believers that are going and planting churches and planting seeds of the gospel. I could share more stories about those very things. And that's what we're trying to help with in Poland is helping leaders uh, which there aren't a lot because of that whole thing I said at the beginning was 18 to 60 staying in country, but those that are there trying to help them to, to be intentional with their walks and, and their witness in Poland and Switzerland and Moldova or wherever. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, well, is there anything that I have not asked you that you want to make sure that you leave with our audience? <laughs> That's my catch-all question. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, don't cease to pray for Ukraine. Uh, I say that like that because in the first 90 days, maybe two months of the war, and we're, we're past 90. Uh, no, we're not past 90. We're getting close. But in the, in the, first, in the first few months of the war, um, there was a lot of fervency. There, it was on the news a lot. There was a lot of interest. There was a lot of prayers by churches. Mm -hmm. And a Ukrainian pastor, Baptist brother, said that the prayers of the global church is the Iron Dome of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Whether or not we want, we want the West to send uh, to close the sky, whether or not we want more weapons to go in or not, or get NATO involved, whether or not, what, it doesn't really matter. He said, the key is that the church of Jesus Christ around the world would intentionally, fervently, passionately pray for Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. So my, my word is keep praying for Ukraine. God has answered prayers on these spiritual levels. We've even seen some of those um, miraculous things on, on the battlefront. Because mm -hmm. what is happening is evil. The, the war is evil. The violence, the atrocities that are in the thousands are, are horrible mm -hmm. and we need to pray that god would would uh, would stop what's happening we also need to pray that the church in ukraine and in russia would stand up for the truth be intentional in the midst of this war in the midst of what's happening um, and even in both cases grow expand and uh, continue to do the the things that god's called us to in the great commission so. Absolutely. Absolutely. So where can people go to learn more about you and about your ministry? Well, it's real simple. MissionEurasia.org. www.MissionEurasia.org. And you'll see right on that very first page, uh, you can click and find anything that you need to know about giving to Mission Eurasia. Uh, we've handed out 35,000 of these uh, boxes around Ukraine, plus additional aid in other places. So beyond that, with scripture, uh, each of those boxes costs about $50 to deliver to into a person's hands, a needy person. You can see lots of pictures of that even on our website. Um, and you can sign up for newsletters. 
And uh, our prayer update, we do a regular daily prayer update, praying for the different needs of Ukraine. I mentioned the critical need to pray. Well, that's a good reminder. Get a, get something in your inbox every morning. Yeah, so yeah. go to missionarysia.org and get signed up for those things and, and give to help send some more food packages and scriptures into, uh, into those that need it the most. Fantastic. I will link in the show notes to that URL and make sure that everybody has access. And thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate everything you're doing. Sure. Thank you so much, Lauren. I appreciate your time. For sure. Are you looking for a holistically minded healthcare practitioner who truly treats root cause rather than symptom suppression? Unfortunately, even in the alternative healing professions, this isn't a given. That's why I've created wholehealthdoctor.com, a resource to help connect patients to healthcare practitioners in their area who share a root cause philosophy. Alternatively, most of the practitioners listed also practice telehealth. So if there isn't anyone local to you, you can still find a great practitioner to help you regain optimal health. Go to wholehealthdoctor.com. That's whole healthdr.com, type in your location or just the specialty that you're looking for and find the practitioner who's right for you. Thanks for listening to Christian Natural Health. This show is run by you. So please write in with topic and guest suggestions for future shows. For more great content, subscribe to Dr. Lauren's blog at www.drlaurendeville.com or follow her on Facebook or Twitter. At Dr. Lauren DeVille. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to share it with your friends and give us a five star rating in iTunes. It really helps us to stand out so other people can discover great content as well. Have a great week and God bless you. A powerful prayer life does not require hiking a mountain to be able to hear from God. God can meet us right in the middle of our busy lives to help, guide, and speak to us through prayer. I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical teaching and encouragement on how you can make prayer a natural and consistent part of your everyday life. I promise it won't require hiking a mountain, but you just might develop the faith to move one. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.